Broadcasting from AM and FM stations around the country. Welcome to the Small Business Administration award-winning School for Startups Radio, where we talk all things small business and entrepreneurship. Now, here is your host, the guy that believes anyone can be a successful entrepreneur because entrepreneurship is not about creativity, risk, or passion, Jim Beach. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting edition of School for Startups Radio. It's Monday, October 2nd. I hope you had a great weekend, maybe putting up some Halloween stuff I saw in my neighborhood. My goodness, what are we coming to? We don't put up Halloween stuff a month in advance, do we? I, I anyway, blown away. Very excited today. I have an amazing show. Two great entrepreneurs and their stories. First up, we have Miles Sherman. Boy, is this an impressive story. Real estate developer. Very active in giving back as president of the EO organization, which is the, I think the largest, best group of entrepreneurs, the entrepreneur organization, impressive story all around. You will love miles. After that, we have Trillium Jiong. He is maybe one of the best examples of a pivot I've ever seen. He built a product. No one wanted it, but everyone's like, we'd want the tech behind it. It's an amazing story. We will share it with you as well. And we got a great one. I'll be right back to get started. We are back. Please welcome our first guest, Miles Sherman, to the show. He has been a force in a lot of your life, whether you know it or not. And I'll explain started off 23 years old and a pickup truck, maybe a couple thousand dollars and turned that into a real estate empire in the Houston area, sold all of it right before the crash in 2008. And since then, here's where you become part of the story. He has been involved in EO working his way up to, I think the head of the entire organization globally. And we all know EO as the entrepreneur organization. If you're not part of it, you should be great organization. We've had tons of their members and different executives on this show over the years. And so miles has been very active in giving back to you and your community, very active in other organizations, nonprofits as well, and did not stop being an entrepreneur. When he sold his real estate, he is now part of 26 different deals in all sorts of sectors. He is the founder and founding board member of the Bank of Houston, which started with a $20 million raise and they sold it for hundreds of millions of dollars. He also owns a spirit brand, Dripping Springs Vodka. We always enjoy the people who go into the the spirits. Miles, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you, Jim. Very kind of you to have me on the show. Glad to be here. What is your secret sauce? You know, what what are you? Are you smarter, harder worker, sexier, better salesman? Uh, what, what's the miles <laughs> secret question. sauce? Yeah, so I, I love to negotiate. I love to sell. 
and I've worked hard all my life. Um, I started, I filed a tax return every year since I was 13 years old. Um, I worked before that and different deals, but um, I've always worked. Um, but I, I love to negotiate. I love the deal. I love figuring out how to make a deal work, you know, being creative. Um, we just closed a couple of a company purchase in a warehouse last Friday and really took me 11 months to negotiate it, make everybody happy on both sides. These people had owned the business 31 years and it was difficult for them, you know, cause it was their baby. Um, they're ready to retire, do something else. Um, that business, my, our three kids are actually going to own and operate with the seed money. They're the, they're the sweat equity, as we say. Uh, and so hard work, um, love, love working a deal and figuring out a way to make, make it work if at all possible. Um, and, um, man, I just negotiating and selling is a big part of it. You're always selling yourself. You're selling your product. You're selling your people, your talent. Last thing I'll say on that subject, and it's such a deep question, people. Every deal, I look at 40 or 50 different investments a year, and I say yes to three or four or five. Whenever I've made a mistake, I've picked a great product and people that were marginal at best. Um, you can have a marginal product and pick great people, and and it'll succeed. So, so people are key to any deal, in my opinion. Miles, when you have a, a negotiation, is there a winner and a loser? Should someone lose? No, no. I, this deal we just closed is a great example. Um, again, it was personal for them. Um, it was their baby, you know. Uh, their kids worked in the business. Um, they Did they accept my first offer? Absolutely not. Uh, and, and that's okay but we negotiated it out. They're going to actually stay on for six months to a year each, the, the, the two founders and train our people. Um, and I'm going to compensate them for that. And so part of what my value system is, is there doesn't have to be a winner and a loser. Um, maybe I got a little bit better deal than, than you did, Jim. That's okay. Vice versa is fine longevity is what what we all care about you know creating something that's of lasting value and creating something that you can grow over time i never want to buy an asset a piece of real estate a vintage ferrari a company i never want to buy an asset and have it stay stagnant because i don't believe in stagnation i believe that in your professional life and your personal life and your emotional life and your marriage, you're either going forwards or you're going backwards. My, my core value is you're never standing still. And so I always want to be the best version of myself, make this company we just purchased the, the best version of itself. So just, just how I, I operate. When I was going through your list of accomplishments. I didn't mention your most recent project, the Astrid. Please tell us about this development. It looks beautiful. Ski in, ski out opportunity in steamboat and concentrate or tell us a little bit about the industry. I saw that there was a $200 million divorce in the industry a couple of weeks ago from 
one of the longtime uh, ski slope owners. So tell us a little bit of the history and tell us about the project. But Miles, I really, here's what my question is about the project. It's a beautiful website. The first picture above the fold is of two girls napping, sleeping outdoors, maybe in hammocks or something <laughs> like that. It yeah, doesn't yeah. show the building. Why are there two girls yeah. napping as you're above the fold picture? Great question. So, so, and, and I will tell you that, uh, we have a family office that's running this project. Uh, our daughter, Sydney is incredible at marketing and, you know, um, uh, PR, all this good stuff. And so that's really her vision. So, so I guess start with the name, the Astrid, A-S-T-R-I-D. Astrid is ancient Norse uh, mythology for divinely beautiful, beautiful goddess. So we're kind of going with a, a female theme because I've got a daughter that I love and a wife that I love and a couple of granddaughters now that I love. And so uh, it's kind of a female uh, infused uh, name moniker, if you will. Um, number two, look, you. this is a ski in, ski out, very high end luxury product on the largest uh, remaining parcel of land in Simba Springs, Colorado. And you think about coming to the mountains, you hike, you ski, you bike, you know, you raft, you do all these cool things, but you also unwind, you slow down, you take a breath, you know, you're, you're with family, you're with friends. And so it's, you know, it's not just about the activities, it's about the lifestyle. And so with the Astro, we are creating a community, um, very selective, on on who's coming into this community who's buying you know we're a whole ownership condominium development why that's important is because if i sell you two weeks at a time you're not really a part of the community you come there two weeks every year and that's it you know if you come there two months a year six months a year you're you're inside the community and so um so that's that's the answer to that question the ski industry as a whole, Jim, has gone through dramatic transformations over the last couple of years with two roll-ups. Uh, one is Vail Mountain Resorts and one is Altera. Altera is the owner of our mountain, and they're pumping $300 million into one mountain, which is our mountain, which is unheard of. Uh, they're trying to make Steamboat their flagship ski resort property. And so um, that's part of why we felt the timing is right. Um, we also, you know, part, look, part of it is you got to buy the right asset. This is, again, the largest piece of property. It's the best location out of only three remaining properties. It's got the best views. We've got views of the ski mountain, views of the redesigned uh, refurbished space there. We've got 47 mile views to uh, another public mountain range called the flat tops it's just it's phenomenal um my goal always is to be is to is to do something different do something special right i could put cheap condos on the mountain on this side and sell them all day long that's not what we want we want something that's that's lasting that is that if you're an owner Jim, in 20 years, you're going to be proud to be an owner there. Not, not just the day you buy it. Everybody's proud the day they buy a new house, new condo, new car. 
time used on the road is the test. Miles, tell me about Risk. One of my favorite board games is Risk. One of my favorite books is Tom Wolf, A Man in His Full, about a real estate developer in Atlanta. I'm a, in Atlanta. Yeah. Of course, I, I like the book because of that, but I also love real estate development. I love reading about it and watching it. I love the cranes and counting the number of cranes downtown. It's a certainly boom and bust industry. How much risk are you willing to take now versus when you were 24? How much risk are you going to let your 25-year-old kids take? What's your philosophy on risk and in particular real estate risk? And what do you see happening with the market right now? Well, first of all, I love that book. I read it decades ago. It's, it's, he's such a great writer, uh, and he really he, he gets it, you know, or at least he got it in that book. Um, so as far as risk, it's a great question. I, I started my first company at 23, construction business, no money, somehow uh, talked to a banker and loaned me some money to start a company. Um, I had real estate. I had truck payments. I had student debt. But I walked out of that meeting with that banker with, with a $5,000 loan, and that was you know, 40 years ago. In my 20s and 30s, I would take any risk. And I, I then went into real estate development um, and had $55 million in personal guarantees. And in 2006, when I was global chairman of Entrepreneurs Organization, um, I had this dream that the shit hit the fan and that the, the market crashed. And in Texas in 2006, the market was incredible. But I basically went home and started selling everything. It took me two and a half years. And I got off the entire $55 million in debt in May of 2008. And of course, September of 2008, Lehman Brothers and the world crashed, right? So that would have bankrupted me. So it was a great lesson to listen to your intuition, listen to your gut. You know, a good portion of entrepreneurship and my experience has been listening to your gut. Buying this property on the side of the mountain. I saw it. I put in a contract quickly, two days before it went on the market. My gut said, this is a good bet. You know, this is, nothing's a one-way bet, but it's pretty close to a one-way bet. So back when I was in my 20s and 30s, I had nothing to lose. So I could risk everything. Now I've got a lot to lose, right? So, so I will take risks. I will guarantee notes, but um, not to the extent where I was younger. I'm now 62. Um, so, so it's critical to me to mitigate risk, and there's ways to do it. So this project up here, I could have done it myself. And it would have been very risky, um, but we didn't do it that way. We brought in investors and we told every investor, you have to buy a condo if, if, if we allow you to invest. And if you don't buy a condo, then don't invest, um, which hurt a couple of my buddies' feelings pretty harshly because they wanted to uh, invest and not buy a condo. So that's one way. That's There's a lot of ways to mitigate is, risk in every single deal. Yeah. And, and, there's, and there's different ways to mitigate risk. You know, um, with a, a lot of different, uh, a lot of different partnerships or, or structures with banks. You know, banks. You mentioned 
Bank of Houston, that was my first bank deal. I'm now my third bank deal, which is Keystone Bank in Austin, Texas. I sit on the board. I'm a founder. I sit on loan committee. We look at risks every Wednesday when I sit on loan committee. Um, I'm also a customer of the bank, obviously. You know, I support everything I do. Um, and, and one of my tenets of, and this kind of correlates to risk is, if I bring you a deal to invest in, Jim, I've vetted it. And I've written a check because why is it good enough for you to put your money, your hard-earned capital into a deal, but not me? And that's kind of what I, when I invest in a deal, when you, you bring me a deal and you want to, you know, do another startup um, like you did. When, how long ago did you start um, American Computer Experience? 20, 30 years ago? In 94. I love that company, by the way. I think that's such a cool thing that you did. But thank you. If you had come to me, and I know you, I know you did not take any capital. You did it all bootstrapped yourself, which is awesome. But if you were raising capital and you said, "Well, I'm not going to put any men in the deal, but I want everybody else to write checks," that's not a good risk, in my opinion. Um, so every time I look at a deal, one of the core questions is, "Hey, how much uh, capital did you put in it?" And if you don't have a lot, if you're 25 years old and the most you have is 10 grand and you put in 10 grand, your 10 grand is more important to you than my six or seven figures is to me, right? Because it's all you have. Um, the other part of your question is my kids. We've got three grown children, 27 to 32. Uh, they've all started their own businesses. 18, 22, and 23 is when they started their first companies. Um, they've had successes, they've had failures. Um, and so I kind of don't, I guide them if they ask for my help, because right now I'm not a, I'm a, I'm a consultant. I'm not a cop. I'm not a coach. You know, I'm not telling them don't cross the street. I'm not telling them do this, do that. I'm a consultant. A consultant is called upon when needed. So if they come to me and said, Hey, I want to put hundred grand in some deals at a good risk. I don't know. Let's talk about it. I, and I ask questions. I try not to tell them what to do because they're they're grown and they have to figure out and determine their own path and their own appetite. But I can tell you, each of our three children have a different appetite for risk because they're different human beings, just like you and I are. You, you know, you may have a bigger appetite than me, or vice versa. Tell us about EO and. What benefit our listeners would have by joining and participating? EO, Entrepreneurs Organization, um, I, I joined, I think, 32 years ago when the entire world of EO was Canada and the USA, and I think there were 350 members. Now I believe there's 18,000 or so members in 76 countries. It has been a game changer for me. I always recommend EO to every young entrepreneur, and I don't mean young in age, young, young starting out in your entrepreneurial journey. Um, it's helped me professionally, of course. It's helped me personally. Um, you know, they have local events. They have forum, which is when you get in a small group of eight to twelve, and you bare your soul. Uh, but you don't just talk about, hey, I'm selling my company, I'm buying this company. You talk about, hey, my kid's struggling with drugs. What, what the hell do I do? Who's got a resource who can help me? Or whatever the issue is, you know, there's, there is 
in my opinion, there is no personal life and business life. It's life, you know, and it, and it blends together. Uh, if your employee, Jim, is going through a divorce and he's CEO of your company, that will affect his job performance because he's, he's messed up over it. It's, it's tough. Uh, and so EO helps you with everything. Um, it's not very expensive. It's a, it's a like-minded community of business owners. In my opinion, there's nothing else like it. There's certainly nothing else of its size or of its tenure. You've got some other groups that are, if you're a hired gun and president of a company, or if you're this or you're that, or a family legacy business, you know, third generational thing, those are different. EO is about people who, like me, went out uh, and took a lot of risk in the beginning you know, put everything on credit cards, bank loans, whatever you had to do, um, and work 24-7, 365 to make it work. I was broke. You know, I grew up not lacking food, clothing, and shelter, but if I wanted a car at 16, I had to go buy a car by myself. That was my first bank loan was at 16 because I had half the money, and my dad was kind enough to co-sign for the other half, you know? And so... Failure was not an option, and and EO is is great for people like that, and great for people who have success. I mean, I've I've been in my EO EO forum with two other forum members since day one, so we've been together for thirty two years. And forum is the small group, and you know everything about each other's lives. You travel together. You on each other's shoulders when something terrible or something wonderful happens you know it's just i can't describe it but it's if you're an entrepreneur i think it's the go-to group um and and eo plays like anything else it's like a church group it's like a it's like any other group if you join and don't participate you get little or no value so if anyone listening to this podcast decides to join EO, I implore you to participate, to get involved, to go to meetings, to go to forum, to go to universities. Universities are uh, off the chart experience uh, experiences. It's it's. I've done so many things at a university that I could have never done on my own with people I love and care about. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. When I was about uh, 25 around and then one of my friends turned 27 and I went to the party, he got $81 million check that day, Miles. And you know, the company that his grandfather founded, you have shopped there hundred percent, likely hundred percent sure. And, uh, since then he's been a Pilates instructor, a fireman, a real estate agent, a potter, like a, you know, throwing pots. Um, <laughs> what else? Bartender. Okay. I know some other stuff, you know, ski lift operator. How do you make sure that your kids don't end up like that? Yeah. And I will say, if he feels, if that friend of yours is 100% totally fulfilled by living that lifestyle, good for him. I, usually that's not the case, but maybe 
hey, maybe throwing clay pots and, you know, making You're really cool bases turns me on. You're not a little bit upset having spent $500,000 on that kid's education, rehab, et cetera, cars, <laughs> that that's now the return you're getting on your family name? Yeah, so, so everybody has their own journey. Everybody has their own life, right? I don't know what's good for you. You don't know what's good for me. To, to answer that question directly, no, I'd be very upset. I would have said, hey, I could have spent $2,000 and sent you to uh, pottery school, <laughs> and you could have done it in a month, and then I could have invested that 498000 somewhere else. To, to your deeper question, my wife and I, um, she grew up having, you know, her father had much more success than my father. She grew up with money and all this stuff. I did not. Uh, but when we got married, her dad said, she's off the pay. Well, that's it. You're done. That, you know, cut off. And so, uh, and so that was great for us. Growing up, I grew up around a lot of several wealthy families, big, big name families um, that inherited a lot of money. Um, did I want that as a kid? Of course. You know, it's like, hey, that looks like $81 million. I had another friend of mine uh, who inherited billions of dollars and he died young of drug addiction, alcoholism, and he was never fulfilled. So, so, you know, living life and watching this stuff happen. Um, what my wife and I said is we don't believe in trust funds. I'm not saying it's not right for someone else. It's just not right for us and our kids. And so, um, so what we did do is create a limited family partnership and throw some assets in there. What we did do is, which is create a family office. Everybody, all of our kids and their spouses, they have to work, you know. And look, if it's being a stay-at-home mom, that's a that's that's a job I could not do. That's work, you know. I, I feel like stay-at-home moms don't get the credit that they deserve. That's a that's a hard job, and it's the most important job, right? So. You know, one of my kids, his wife used to work and they had their first baby and the second's coming. She's a stay-at-home mom and she does an incredible job. And that turns her on. That's her purpose in life, right? My son works with us. All my three kids work with us in a huge family adventure, which are a little family office. And and that's his job. He's also a dad and, you know, we're all multifaceted. But I believe you, you people who have no purpose in life who are unfulfilled, which is probably what you're talking about with your buddy. It's not a, it's not a great life. You know, you don't have to wake up and do anything. You, you just, you're unfulfilled. And so we always told our kids like, Hey, you don't have to be self-employed. You don't have to start a business. You don't have to go, you know, work your way up the ranks in Google or whatever you be you. But if you decide to go to the peace Corps and that's what turns you on, Give it 110%. So that's really one of our core values in our family is, you know, whatever you do, do it 110%. Don't half-ass anything, you know. Um, and and also our, our family motto is live in gratitude. Be grateful you live in this amazing country. Be grateful you live in this family. Be, be grateful you have opportunities, you know. Um, entitlement, in my opinion, is the opposite of gratitude. A lot of people who inherit money because they turn a certain age, not all of them, but some of them are entitled. Well, I, I, I should get this because my name is X. 
you know, because I was born into this family. And so entitlement is, is bad in our family. You know, we tell our kids, you know, if you needed surgery for cancer and you needed, you know, to pay the deductible, of course we pay for it. If you want to go buy a fancy car, no, I'm not paying for that. Go work, go make the money. If that's what turns you on, do that. So I think, you know, creating a, a heart of gratitude in your children for many facets of their life um, it is helps quelch entitlement because if I'm grateful for something, it's not owed to me, right? Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Miles, I would love to have many, many more minutes to talk, but unfortunately we are out of time. Amazing career. Congratulations. Thank you so much for what you've given back to the community. Thank you for being with us today. Give us some URLs so that we can find out more about the new development and of course the family office. And also I heard you have a code to give us where we all get half off a condo at the Astrid. That is very generous. Uh, half uh, off. Thank you for yeah. that. So give well, us that code. What URLs do you want to give out miles? Yeah. Great question. Uh, and, uh, it's half off, but I got to double the price for it. So just don't look at the prices. <laughs> uh, the Astrid.com is our website for this project. Uh, it, it's a, it's a, it's the start of our website that is not fully developed because we're, it's about 60 days away from getting to the city, but it, you, it, you can get in touch with me. You can ask me questions about EO or whatever else you want, but uh, you can find me through the astro.com and also fuse family ventures. Um, the fuse family ventures.com uh, uh, is, is also another website. That's really the best way. I travel all over the world. My laptop and my phone are with me everywhere. I love what I do. So I work seven days a week. So, Anybody out there wants to talk about entrepreneurship and uh, or anything, just reach out. And, and I thank you for having me on your show. I've, I've, I looked you up before the show, and I, I love what you've done. Uh, it's very impressive, and I, and I appreciate you having me on the show. Well, thank you for those very kind words, sir. It has been our honor and pleasure. We will be back in just a second with another really impressive story. We are back. And again, thank you so much for being with us. Wow. I have another incredible entrepreneur to introduce you to. His name is Trillium Jiang. He is the founder of Wealth Block. They are a company designed to help make your investing, your onboarding of money, your capital raise easier. In a lot of different ways, they do things. They have lots of different ways of helping. And I'll let him explain that. The company has so far grown to be really successful. They have, let's see, they were selected out of 600 companies to participate in the Holt Accelerator cohort. They are 130 plus investment platforms that are using them to onboard their money. And this is one of the things that apparently Trillium really believes in is customer feedback. They are using that to drive the product for greater success in the fintech space. Trillium, welcome. How are you doing today? Good. Glad to be here. So tell us about Wealthblock. How did I describe it? Uh, 
give me a grade and then you describe it. Sure. So essentially, as of today, of course, we went through a different evolution to even figure out what, what we wanted to build. Right. So as of today, um, our sweet spot is we, we built white label capital raising and investor management platforms that's designed for venture capital firms, private equity firms, or real estate investment firms to streamline their fund um, presentation, investor onboarding, subscription document e-signing, and a reporting. So okay. That's what we're talking about. Very interesting. And so it's white label. I didn't catch that part. And uh, so anyone can come in and claim it as their own. It makes it look their firm look better yes. as they go mm -hmm. about their business. Is that sort of the model? Yep. That is it. And what are the different things that it can do? Uh, give me the whole list of the features built in. Sure. Um, so essentially, from a functional perspective, you can break out the entire investor-facing activity into three stages, three areas. So first is the um, investment presentation. That includes you probably need a CRM to manage the whole thing and uh, manage the outrage invitation. Then you need a data room to do the deal presentation to even track all the engagement. So you want to know who has come in, look at which page of the deck to, uh, for you to um, gauge like how interested they are, et cetera. Now, move on, moving on to the second stage, if they are ready to invest, then you need a whole <clears throat> flow to get them um, onboarded and passing all the compliance checks, KYC, AML, accreditation checks, then e-sign the document. Then there, we, we need to convert any kind of legal documents that you might have from any law firm or lawyers you've used. They usually, usually produce different type of drafts. So you need to convert that into a digital form that's ready for e-sign. So that's a second, uh, second stage. And um, lastly, once the investors went through this whole thing, then now you're responsible for providing timely reports to, to the investors. Now we provide the tools for you to create um, any type of investor dashboards, generate any type of customer reports that you need. And very often that involves pulling data from multiple sources. For instance, your fund administrators, aka accountants, or your, uh, uh, or your own transaction data, or any kind of additional kind of uh, references you want to provide for your investors to appreciate uh, your investment strategy and portfolio a lot better. So we simply provide a tool to allow you to pull and uh, aggregate all that data nicely and uh, output that in, <clears throat> in a streamlined fashion to um, turn that into any type of visualization, aggregation, and uh, any type of reports uh, in a kind of uh, real-time basis. Very interesting. I've raised capital twice, well, more than that. I don't mm -hmm. know how many times now, a lot of times like, deals keep coming to mind and there's always one person whose job it is just to do all of the stuff, you know, the paperwork stuff. And did you call this person and get that page signed? And did you, you know, fax this person, that document so they can sign there's always, it takes one solid person to keep up with all of the stuff. You know what I mean? Not the fundraiser, yep. not the person pitching. 
but there's always yep. someone who's just following behind. It seems like it would eliminate all of that. Absolutely. And uh, it goes above and beyond, actually. And it allows you to, right now, all of a sudden, you're able to actually engage um, hundreds of people at once because the technology is going to enforce any kind of compliance rules that you might need. Like you need to collect certain kind of information, qualification, and uh, driver's license, passport, what have you. And then you actually have an engine to actually run that check in real time. Like compare like KYCML, compare that name against the uh, OFAC, like uh, money laundering, uh, anti-money laundering database, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Very often, I mean, before this point, it was usually handled by different vendors across the board. So this one person you just mentioned, this quarterback, needs to kind of collaborate with multiple different vendors to actually get this thing done, uh, multiple things done. But right now, everything kind of streamlined in one technology flow. I love it. It makes a ton of sense. And so the the ultimate though question is, and I don't know if you've been able to measure this yet, is do you raise more money easier because of it? And so think about this. You know, you have an investor and yep. you say, okay, I'll send you the deck. And so you mm -hmm. email them the deck. Yep. And then you say, if you have any questions, get back to me. And then you you wait around a day or two and then you call them back or whatever. Now that yep. is replaced by, okay, mm -hmm. so you're interested in investing. We have a platform where all of the information is available. And so here's the yep. link to the platform. And now you can go on the platform and they can see a whole bunch of stuff, but yep. it just seems infinitely more professional or organized. Hey man, I'm sending you the deck than that. Does that make sense? I'm I'm telling your story for you here. How much higher, better sales do I get because of that? Do I raise more money faster because you seem more professional? It is more professional. It is more organized. Are you starting to get any data on that? Um, I would say so. At least a five times faster. And uh, if you count how many more people you can you can work with, or at the same time you can. Uh, you can probably drive somewhere around like 10 times more. And, uh, and I will, based on my observation that um, here are the two kind of conclusions I have. And for the first two stages you just mentioned, like one, deal presentation, what, what is the primary goal? The primary goal is actually, okay, on one hand, you want to invite your investors over, potential investors over to take a look at whatever you need to show them. Of course, you want to look good it look professional but even more importantly because of my background as a data guy and that we need to be able to read their actions use their behavior data to actually inform you that who's really interested i mean most of the investors out there are gonna, will usually say that yeah i'm interested in sending the debt because few people want to be the one who rejects people so they usually say yes but it's their behavior that's going to tell you are they really serious about this or they just barely spend any time or didn't even click on the link at all. Now you have a way to track it. Now, after that, then it's about being, being persistent and consistent. So we have automated, um, let's say follow-up automation. You can say, Oh, if so-and-so spends more than 30 seconds looking at which page of this document, then inform me, let me do something. And the producer reports, let me know that, okay, rank them. 
which is the top 20% of the people I need to actually focus, focus my attention on. So essentially, that, within that stage, it's all about being able to read their mind through their behavior and uh, being persistent to follow up. So, and then moving on to the second stage that, oh, once people are already in love with you, they can't wait to write a check to you. And what is the primary goal within that stage that can drive the conversion? And essentially, that is a favorite page out of the playbook of Silicon Valley, which is reducing or eliminating friction. So there are two things that will drive human behavior, like at least the behavior you want out of a customer. One is do something to increase the desire of purchase. Another one is um, reduce the friction, uh, prohibiting them from, from purchasing. Well, the first one is much harder to do. But the second one is a lot easier comparatively. That's why um, in Silicon Valley, this, you know, most of the people are actually spending the majority of the time thinking of how to eliminate friction. Now, in our case, what is the friction? So once the people are ready to invest the money, they have the desire to go through the purchase. Now, it's your job to eliminate as much of a friction as possible. Now, in private investment space, we all know that it's uh, heavily regulated <coughs> compliance rules collecting information and the legal documents, et cetera, et cetera, is very tedious. And, um, and very often people get confused, people get busy, then they drop out. So the dropout rate is relatively high. That's why it's almost required. Uh, you must have a dedicated person to kind of babysit your investors throughout the process. And then whoever can eliminate that confusion, um, that, that friction, meaning allowing in the investor to comfortably sit in one place, spend uh, 10, 15 minutes to finish your whole thing and then send you the money. The smoother that process is, the less dropout you're going to have. Therefore, you're going to in increase the conversion rate and get the money even faster. So that's all kind of can be handled much better by modern technology through different kind of integration by um, utilizing different uh, software vendors, providing the services needed in throughout this entire flow. Instead of asking investors, oh, you need to go there. Oh, you need to web sign something. Oh, you need to return this. Uh, you need to go to a bank yep. to move the money, et cetera. Yep. So. Makes so much sense. Brilliant. Brilliant. All right, let's change our conversation just a little bit. We understand the product and what you're doing now. And to me, it just makes a bunch of sense. I love it. How'd you get the idea for this? What did you do first? How'd you raise the money to build it? Did you build it yourself? Just tell us the story of getting started. Go back six months in time before the founding and give us a story. History lesson sure. time. Sure. Uh, so back in 2018, that's when I first started the, the company. Before that, uh, I was a quant by training, U Chicago financial mathematics, uh, graduate and then I landed my first job uh, working for a regulator, uh, National Futures Association. Essentially, I wrote the job description <clears throat> to tell them that this, since I'm the first one, first quant ever hired, so I need to tell them that what a quant can do for you. So ultimately, I, uh, I defined that as, oh, we are able to uh, build um, algorithms and the systems to detect suspicious trading behavior within the financial derivative market, interest rate swap and credit default swaps. Ultimately, it means, okay, by reading the data, I need to define 
I need to measure intent in terms of manipulation or fraud. So that was the essence of what I came up with. But uh, I was always entrepreneurial. Um, therefore, on the side, I started my own uh, hedge fund and trying to beat the market. That was when I was exposed to the private investment market while I was trying to raise my uh, initial capital. Well, that process was more tedious than I than would like, so it took all the fun out of uh, building an algorithm to beat the market. But I also recognized this tremendous opportunity that, oh, there's a low-hanging fruit, at least in my mind. I'm able to, uh, I think I have all the pieces to build out something to help others like me to raise capital a lot faster. So that's how I came about this idea. But of course, I was a quant by training. I knew how to program, but I wasn't a parkour developer. So I uh, found my uh, co-founder, Deji Jamal, who came from like 15 plus years of um, full-time uh, full-stack developer background. And, but we shared the common interest of uh, value investing. So, of course, overnight beer turned into uh, uh, years of uh, friendship that turned into a kind of going into business together. Now, fast forward that we started off by building uh, a platform that's for crowdfunding, but nobody really came to us to raise capital for them. Instead, everyone is asking, hey, can I use your technology? And that's where, like three months in, I made the very first pivot decision to say, okay, let's become the pure technology vendor here since nobody's, I mean, for the right reason, nobody's asking us to raise capital for them, but everybody's just asking for um, a technology solution. So we will turn this into a white label technology platform for anyone who wants to raise the capital from, uh, from people. So that was kind of the, the starting point. And how did you get your first sale for that? How do you decide how to price a product like that? If you're going after white labels mm -hmm. and you're selling mm -hmm. to investment firms that have millions and millions of dollars, it's, yeah. you could say, well, this is $128,000 per license. You know, yeah. you know, so how do you come up with a, a price that you can justify and how'd you get your first sale? That's a really good question. So, uh, I'm a, because of my engineering training, so I started off with, uh, usually a hypothesis. And then I say, instead of a triggering the uh, analysis paralysis, I would just based on the best guess I have could be educated, could, uh, might not be, and I'm going to test the market to see how the market reacts. So I would say that, okay, who's the very first taker? And uh, what do they look like? And uh, what is the value to them? Then I continue raising prices, test the next time, next time once I have a yes, until I hit about 20% rejection rate, I know that, okay, the price point is probably optimal. So that's kind of the ongoing process that we engage in. All right. And is that how you got the first sale? The first sale is kind of something similar. I went out there, used this thing to, to see whoever's going to say yes to it. So initially, the first of five pilot customers we got was uh, uh, a broker, uh, placement agent, a real estate developer, a third-party marketer raising capital for others, and, uh, um, and, uh, and one issuer just raising for one deal, and having two issuers. So and uh, initially, we started... I simply just want to throw out 
in a price point to see that if it sticks. And so initially they're paying about $5,000 for the entire year. I said, okay, that flies. And then I take that data back and observing their usage and uh, seeing, uh, looking at the, the outcome, especially during that time that we're using their feedback to quickly improve and uh, our own platform to make it more useful, then I, I will feel more comfortable <clears throat> pitching the next guy that, oh, I'm gonna raise the price on this. And of course, they didn't know the original price, so it <clears throat> keeps going up until I actually hit that kind of a um, inflection point. Ah, yes, I like this. And are you still doing the selling or have you hired <laughs> that out now? How big is the company? Uh, How big does it take to manage? say 150 clients? Well, we have been running extremely lean. That's another kind of a key differentiator that uh, everyone is probably surprised to hear that uh, all in all, including myself, we only have six full-timers right now. And we have a few contract to hire um, contractors, but that the mentality of running lean forces us to push technology uh, to run automated routines as much as possible. And uh, literally that like some of our direct and direct competitors simply having a well, hundred plus people doing all the things that we do. And uh, we simply take 70, 80% of them and uh, automate that with technology. So that's kind of a <laughs> how, uh, how we can support that. And so it's kind of embedded in the DNA of ours to, to always think that how do we use technology to do more stuff uh, with less, um, with less than manual labor. I find that very impressive. The more you can do with less, I mean, don't say only six employees say we can do so much with six that our ROI per employee is off the chart. Yes, pretty much. I mean, if you look at Amazon, that, uh, I mean, I think that their revenue per employee is over 230,000. So that's very impressive for, for a company of that size. Yes. Very impressive. But how big a market is it? Is it, uh, I don't know. It seems like there's, there's not that many people that need to manage fundraises. I mean, what, 2000? DC firms in the United States, something like that. How big is the market? Well, okay. So VCs, you got, you got about 10,000 and P you got about, about 10,000 hedge fund. You got about 10,000. And, um, if you count the registered investment advisors, the wealth management firms, that's another hundred thousand. If they are heavily involved in alternative asset investment. So if you're purely looking at this from, uh, let's say, uh, white label capital raising, uh, platform standpoint, you're looking at a, a over a billion a year market, easy, but uh, it's a strategic play that the ultimate vision is to become the network. So we simply today, as of today, we're, we're trying to become the default vendor for the supply side, and uh, so that uh, tomorrow we'll be able to become the network for everyone to trade on. Brilliant, brilliant. So. In a year or two, I just list my fundraise on your site and your previous investors get a notice and you get 7%. Yeah, ultimately, that will be the desirable outcome 
if the middleman, aka this network, has um, the reputation, but that's what Carta is doing today, right? They're trying to <clears throat> accomplish that, and uh, um, many other much better. Who, who did you say? Carta. Carta. Okay. Yeah, they launched a Carta X, primarily doing this. But uh, I, I would challenge that initial assumption to say that oh, that's too much of a leap. There are a lot more nuances in between you need to hit before you actually hit that final stage. That's why we're doing this more iterative approach. So as of today, I'm the default platform supplier to all the supply sites, like farm managers. And then I will first um, build another side by engaging mostly institutional investors, such as the registered investment advisors, the family offices, et cetera, because the other ones will still well, mostly dominate within the alternative asset space or not even um, in the territory of um, individual investors yet. But it is a trend. So give me another four or five years that um, once there is a kind of a reputation built up on uh, this network, we can make it available to the retail investors. And that's really where things will go mass. Brilliant. I love it. I can't wait to watch, see how it plays out. Trillium, very impressed and really appreciate you coming uh, today and sharing the story with us. It's a good one. Well, thanks for having me. How do we find out more, follow online, all that stuff, please? Um, you can log on to our website, uh, www.wealthblock.ai. And, uh, of course, I'm on LinkedIn and, uh, and uh, my entire team on LinkedIn. So feel free to shoot me a note and we can chat. Fantastic. Julian, thank you so very much, and I can't wait to have you back in a year or two and hear more as you continue to take over the world. <laughs> thank you. We are out of time, but back tomorrow. Be safe, everyone. Take care. Bye now.